So good afternoon. I want to talk about training and the conditions of practicing peace, kindness, metta. So one of the tricky things about sashin, about training, about practice, about this kind of effort that we're doing is we, it, we bring our preconceptions with us. These are the walls in the mind that Joman was talking about that the Heart Sutra references. Without hindrance, there is no fear. So the Sutra says, without walls in the mind, there is no fear. Without thought coverings, there is no fear. So these preconceptions are walls in the mind. I should be good at this. It's simple. He says it's simple. I should be good at this. So there's all kinds of habits of mind that show up when we practice. It's part of the process. And one of the things that is a deeply ingrained habit is seeing this as a problem, seeing ourselves as a problem that needs to be fixed. So all sorts of habits of mind show themselves. And it's wonderful that they do because we get to work with them. Habits of mind, tangles of thought that, that we can call perfectionism or standard setting, setting a standard. It's simple, I should be good at this. This breath should be like this. My heart should be like this. Should, shooting all over ourselves. So, just look at, as you practice, are you setting some kind of standard, some kind of measurement of succeeding or, or failing? The perfectionist, the perfectionism sets a standard. I should be like this. Sashin should be like this. That was a good period. This is a bad period. There's the habits of mind of pushing, of striving. So notice, are you pushing? It can show up as tension, tension in the mind, tension in the heart, tension in the body. These are not necessarily uh, one follows the other, um, but they can, it's a, it can be a symptom of striving or pushing is tension. Sometimes we're just tired. So don't make too big a deal of it. Use your intelligence. Use our intelligent reflection. What's going on here? Am I pushing? Or am I just new to Sashin? But oftentimes we can see that there's this, um, a subtle striving or pushing, a kind of attempt to control our experience, and it exhibits itself as body tension. This does not mean that you're doing it wrong. 
It just means that this habit of mind is present or could be present or was present. <laughs> so this it's very common to try and establish control over our practice. This is one of the things that can make uh, breath practice so difficult for people, especially if we have uh, this habit, we wanna control our breath. This is different from a method. Um, there are some methods that um, you specifically concentrate on a certain kind of breath control. Um, um, but unless you know you're doing that, <laughs> that particular kind, then this kind of control shows up as um, a kind of constriction in the breath. We can find our breath getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and it goes up, 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 and pretty soon we're like. <laughs> <laughs> the, for, the Buddha's teaching on breath practice is all you are doing is noticing the breath, noticing the long breath, noticing a short breath, following the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath. So are you pushing or are you striving? Do you have some idea that you're trying to get to? I, I, this is why when we check in with the heart, we're just noticing what's going on. It's not like, am I succeeding because I have a warm sensation? Oh, now I've really got it. It's like if you check in with your heart and there's pain there, that's checking in with the heart. It doesn't mean that you're failing. It may mean that you're sad or that there's grief present. We're just checking in to see. It's like there's nothing wrong with the weather. Sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's sunny. Your heart is the same way. So there's setting the standard. There's striving and pushing to the standard. And then there's judgment and evaluation that happens. I'm not doing it well. Why aren't I better at this? I'm no good at this, I'm failing. It's important to just notice these habits of mind are present because if we're noticing them, then we're one step back from believing them. And that's where there's space and we can see how the mind is operating, what its habits are. One of the pith statements of Zen is, um, take the backward step and shine the light within. That's what we're doing is we're able to take a step back and just see what is happening. There's also conditioning of pride or arrogance. This can show up in subtle ways. Oh, I know. I know about this. I've been there and done that. I did the phrases in that one time. I know this works. I know this doesn't work. Um, it's, it's the opposite of don't know mind. <laughs> Um, and it can be a way to uh, basically we have a preference that we'd rather we have a preference and we want to choose our preference so we can come up with a whole bunch of reasons about why our, what we want to do is the right thing to do um, and again this is just the mind and what it does there's doubt i did the practice and it didn't work and that goes with any kind of practice. I, it didn't work. What does that even mean? How do we know if our practice works or not? Especially when we're evaluating it, we're already a step removed. We're already half-hearted if we're just like, well, let's just see how this goes. 
Yes, yes, I got this. All of these things obscure our experience. They block us. They kill our curiosity and interest. There's I'm special. I'm especially good. I have it figured out. I've already moved beyond this. I don't need this. Or I'm especially bad. I'll never get this. <laughs> I'm the worst. Everyone else has got this, not except for me. It's a, this is the eye-making that Jomon was talking about. This is how eye-making happens, right? This kind, the, these habits of mind. So these are habits of mind that are often deeply ingrained. And in Buddhism, one of the words we use for these habits of mind is called conditioning. The mind has been conditioned in this way. So it's a very neutral term. It's, it's not seeing this as a problem. It's like, this is a habit. The mind has been conditioned in a certain way. And we're not, it's because we have this, you know, especially in this culture, a very individualistic orientation. It's like, if I'm doing well, I get the credit. And if I'm doing poorly, I get the blame. And it just doesn't, um, it disregards the complexity of that we're situated in a web of causes and conditions and effects that we participate in, but we don't control everything. So the mind has been trained in these habits of mind of perfectionism, of pushing, of inner criticism and inner judgment. It's been trained in these habits of mind, especially when it comes to new experiences new experiences like sashin or new experiences like a new practice. Um, this can bring up all kinds of things of I'm not good at this. That's um, you know, being accepted, being graded in school. So with these habits of mind, we can lay another mess on top when we criticize ourselves for having these thoughts that come into the mind. That's just like more. It's like building a wall in front of the wall in the mind. So these habits of mind are mental conditioning. They could be generations. They could be generations. You know, the inner critic can show itself up in our own mind. It reminds ourselves of a family member, of a parent, and that parent's inner critic, and their inner critic is from their parent, and how they were raised, and on and backwards it goes, which is why some of these habits of mind may have particular power, is that they're not just one lifetime's worth. So we have to be very gentle and kind to ourselves in terms of being understanding so these habits of mind aren't our fault. There's no blame, but they are ours to contend with. So congratulations, you have a human heart and a human mind, a heart that's been through a lot. Your human heart, all the ups and downs of a human life. It's your story, your situation, but joys and sorrows 
being happy, being disappointed, feeling connected, feeling alone. Because of living a human life, there's no way to escape the bumps and bruises. We can become defended to try and protect ourselves from getting hurt again. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to touch in with the heart. So we become defended. We become half-hearted in our practice and only practice welcome for a part of ourselves. That part's welcome, this other part isn't. This part that's confused, I don't welcome that part. The part that's sad, the part that doesn't, that doesn't know what's happening. So if we have, if our love here, if our own heart has an agenda, we need to notice that and just welcome the noticing. So this can be why practicing metta can be so difficult. Why would I practice metta and risk my security? The heart wants to stay defended sometimes. But it's just the opposite. Ayakema says, having love in one's heart, unconditional love for others, creates security in the heart because one knows how one is going to react. One can rely on oneself. One is totally reliable, having no fear. So having love in one's heart, unconditional love for ourselves and for others, without love, without an agenda, creates security in the heart because we know how we'll respond. One knows how one's going to react, she says. One can rely on oneself. One is totally reliable, having no fear. So we practice metta, this path of peace, as the chant goes, because we want more peace in the world. We want more peace in our own life. So do we want more peace in the world? We become someone who's peaceful. If we become more peaceful, there's more peace in the world. That's how it works. Do you want more love in your life? Do you want more love in your life? Be a lovable person. I'm sorry, be a loving person. <laughs> you can be lovable too. Being a loving person, loving people are lovable, aren't they? So we want more love in our life. Be a loving person. Do you want someone to love you? We all want that. So be that person who loves you. 
Be that person who loves you. Easier said than done. That's why we come to Zen practice, come to Sashin, to train the heart and mind in love. And the insight into the nature of reality, where love is. We aren't used to the kind of training that happens in Buddhism. In our modern world, you take a class, you want to learn something, you take a class, you read the book, you take tests, you get a grade. Multiply this by many classes and many grades, you graduate, you get a degree. It's very transactional. This person, this school, this university says, I can do this, that I know this. More traditional academic achievement can have even more struggle here in this area. Mind training, heart training that we do in Zen, that we do in Buddhism, is lifelong patient learning. It's more of an apprenticeship model. In the apprenticeship, which is how people used to learn, the apprentice, the student watches the master of the craft. The student pays close attention, asks questions, tries and makes mistakes, tries and makes mistakes tries and makes mistakes. It's all part of the process. Eventually, takes on more and more responsibility and gets constant feedback, invites constant feedback from the crafts, from the master craftsperson. Years later, they have the skills of the craft. So how do I do this? This is Ayakema. Again, uh, we recite her name as the final name on the women's lineage. Theravadan 20th century uh, Theravadan nun, German, German Jewish heritage. She says, there's one thing that is of the essence when one knows or listens to the teachings of the Buddha or for any teaching of that matter, which is on a spiritual level. First, one hears it, then one might remember it. But then there's another step. How am I going to do this? And if that step doesn't happen, no matter how many discourses one knows or hears, or how many books uh, one has read, nothing shifts. 
No matter how many talks you hear, nothing shifts. The question is, how am I going to do this? That the Buddha knew all about it is evident. That the sages and the mystics know all about it is evident. But what about me? There's no other way to grow on the spiritual path unless one asks that question and then tries to actually bring it about. That I can do. So I think that one of the challenges of the and of the struggles of Zen training, or any kind of mind training for that matter, meditation training, is not do I understand this? Do I understand the method? Do I know the method? But how do I do this? How do I do these teachings? Rather than reading, listening, taking a test, it is more of this model of lifelong interest and learning. And hopefully we have good role models lifelong and perhaps lifetimes long learning. These Raksus, the bib uh, that you see some people um, wearing, is, uh, has a pattern sewn into it that is a rice field. It's, it evokes a rice field because a rice field is always being cultivated, continuously cultivated. And so there's an aspect of our practice that is about cultivation. The kind of training we're talking about is more like a garden. All the potential for a beautiful garden is there, but the soil needs to be tended to, nourished, fertilized, turned over. So Ayakema says, the heart needs training because by nature it isn't constituted to always feel loving kindness. By nature it contains both love and hate. It contains ill will, rejection, resentment and fear, and also lovingness. But unless we diminish the hate and enlarge the love by doing something about it in our daily life, we have no chance of experiencing that peaceful feeling that loving kindness generates in the heart. And of course, there is an aspect of the nature of the heart is loving. There actually isn't anything you have to do to the heart. There, do, there doesn't need to be cultivation, and yet we have to cultivate. It's that question about whole and complete, lacking nothing, why do we have to practice? It's, the, it's a very sacred question. And of course, one of the things referring to earlier is that we do have these habits of mind that obscure the natural flow you know, talking about the sort of feeling defended, being defended in some way that we, we don't want to be vulnerable and so we don't step forward into friendship. You know, that's relating on, the, on a relative way and that's important. You know, we're, we're human beings, we want to connect with each other. It's one of the really 
great things about humans. So how do we prepare the soil to engage in this training? How do we prepare the heart? So we have the Metta Sutta as our guide. So the first part of the Metta Sutta, which we will chant again later today, is this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And then, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. So this early part about this is what should be done or ought to be done or can be done are all things that are all practices that help us lay a, 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 a good, that help us cultivate the soil, that help us um, poten you know, potentiate our practice. So what I'd like to do is um, talk a little bit about this, about these practices and how we what, what some of the implications might be. And this is in the spirit of what Ayakema said, how do I do this? Hearing a teaching, how do I do this? And so this isn't the, hopefully you carry that question forward. Not like, how am I gonna do this? But curiosity, how might I do this with my body, with my mind? Are there ways, how's a way I could find myself into doing this particular kind of practice? What are the implications for, for, for me? Where might I start? So first, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. This is what should be done, can be done, would be really good to do <laughs> by one who is skilled in goodness. So first, there's something to do. This is what can be done. And skilled in goodness, it's a skill. Skills can be honed and developed. So for the heart, we can wield it more effortlessly. We can wield it more effortlessly, the heart. We don't have to effort. This is why doing the practice for those who are difficult is so important. Ayakema says, love is most importantly cultivated when we confront someone who is totally unlovable. That is the time when we can really do the work of changing heart and mind because we're forced to do it. And that goes for ourselves. We are confronted with our own ordinariness, our own unskillfulness, bringing welcome to that. I'm not perfect. I didn't get it. I made a mistake. Dogen Zenji says, one continuous mistake. So skilled in goodness. 
So this, we want to we want to develop the skill of skill of goodness. Well, what is goodness? Wholesomeness. Um, there's one translation that it, that translate this line: one who is skilled in goodness as one who is skilled in working on their own well-being. Uh, Piyadasi Tara, who's a Theravadan translator. One who is skilled in working on one's own well-being. That is skilled in goodness. And who knows the path of peace. And who knows the path of peace. For um, Ayakema, she translates, this is translated as gain the state of peacefulness. And another translation of this, who knows the path of peace, is who wishes to attain the state of calm. Nibbana should act thus, attaining a state of calm, allowing calm. So, and who knows the path of peace is one who knows calm in their own heart. And it's also the state of, of calm that is awakening, awakening to what's true. Let them be able and upright. So able is, we can have more and more facility with it. When you have a skill that is honed, you can use it effortlessly and in more sophisticated ways. And it takes practice, like any skill. And that includes, so the skill of the heart. Um, I, I remember one time being in a sashin um, and th many of you will know one of the um, uh, priests who was here for a long time, Shanae, and she is an amazing sewer. And uh, I remember uh, one time being in Zen Works and sewing, uh, and she is just a tornado of uh, sewing sabutans and uh, zafus and robes and multiple people sewing and I spent it must have been the whole first day just trying to thread the needle on the sewing machine um, I think the whole I was there a whole week and I think I sewed like three misshapen <laughs> knee bolsters <laughs> <laughs> It was, <laughs> by the end of it, I could thread the needle and I could make it run and even turn corners. And it was a, it was a pillowy thing, <laughs> but it's one of those things when, you know, as we, as we get older and the further and further away we get from school, the, you know, we often, we don't. We're not used to being unskilled. It's like, you know, little kids are learning all the time. They're used to like not knowing stuff and just 
But eventually we think, oh, I need to know this. Um, and so like being in there, you see somebody who's able and uh, she can just use sewing in so many effortless and sophisticated ways. You know, just a, just a beginner here. So able, so uh, let them be able and upright, able to respond to whatever comes. And so how might you be able in terms of um, uh, practicing and noticing what your abilities are in a way that is welcoming? Oh, this is how it is right now. This is what I can do. Upright. Upright means practicing honesty, forthrightness. So, you know, it's one of our precepts is to be an upright person, to be honest. And one of the things that's very diff- that's, that can be difficult is to be honest with ourselves. Being a good friend to ourselves is, you know, a good friend is honest, can tell us, how it is in a way that's kind, but also direct. So this is, this is not so, this, it's not so easy to be just honest with ourselves. Well, am I, am I, am I really engaging in what I'm setting out to do? Am I really practicing, the phrases aren't, aren't working? Am I really practicing them? Really? We have to just look at that. And if we, if we don't, that's okay. We're just being honest. Um, so um, being honest with ourselves about all kinds of things. You know, we have to be, can we be our own true friend? Um, and just reflect in an intelligent way. And of course, this means being upright with other people and honest, someone who's trustworthy. Let's see what Ayakema has to say about this. She says, uprightness is also being responsible and reliable. And it concerns a character quality which one can feel in a person. Can one actually relate to a person on a level which is not just superficial? Because an upright person will not backbite, will not gossip, will not try to set friends against each other. An upright person is somebody who will be supportive. So the Buddha talked about noble friends a lot. An upright person, if we have such a noble friend, would be one who might help us to see our own mistakes. This is not an easy thing to do, but sometimes it works. And finally, she says, being upright is appreciating others. Appreciating others. Not looking for, she says, not looking for the appreciation of others, but instead appreciating them. So there's a lot in this phrase about being able and upright. And it's a practice. Again, the, the, from the very beginning, this is not how we show up. This is, this, these are ways that we can um, um, create momentum 
straightforward and gentle in speech. Straightforward is pretty straightforward. Uh, <laughs> being direct, unadorned. Off the cushion, it might be refraining from idle chatter about things that are unimportant. You know, there's so much, we have so much access to idle chatter. The internet is just filled with it. People talking about things that are unimportant. But it's also part of being upright because it's saying, this is what's going on. This is how I am. Obviously, we need to be discerning about how to be straightforward and who to be straightforward with. But this straightforwardness on the cushion is also just simple practice. It's not a practice. It's not, you know, adorning all kinds of strategies and all kinds of things. It's just be practice welcome and be simple. Even though the mind tells you, you need to change the channel, <laughs> pick a different app. It's so tempting. Gentle in speech. Uh, another way this is phrased is mild and easy to talk to. It's certainly easy to practice this in Sashin. Right now, this whole Zendo is a model of gentle speech. Well done. So this also means practicing gentle speech on the inside. That's gentle speech regarding others. We catch the mind blaming or being frustrated or irritated. And it's also gentle speech regarding ourselves. And I think, especially for someone who's it has an inner dialogue that's critical. It's really replacing it with gentle speech. Noticing and replacing that. Well, how would I respond to a friend? How would I talk to a friend? So I, I, this is what the inner critic says. Now I want to hear from a supportive friend. What would they say? Now I'll, so gentle speech, practicing gentle speech, humble and not conceited. Uh, one way this is translated is easy to instruct. Easy to instruct, which is the, this is the, the opposite of I know. I have an idea. You know, it's the curiosity of the, of, uh, it's curiosity. I don't know. I'm interested. What more can I find out? What more is there to see? That's the kind of humble. It's not being a doormat. It's not, um, I don't deserve this. That's, that like is the eye making of, of inner criticism. The, you know, I'm the worst. It's just, I don't, it's the I don't know mind. That's humble and not conceited. The don't know mind. Contented and easily satisfied. We can see how the practice of metta, unconditional love, requires a practice of contentment because it's lack of an agenda. 
One of the things about sashin is that we can see how we can be content with a lot less. Less choice in food. We eat what shows up in our bowls. Less stuff. A dresser and a bed. Um, but this is not just about less stuff. Ayakema again. It may not be craving for worldly goods. Quite a number of people, of course, have already understood a long time ago that that's not what's going to make them happy. So we may think, we may just kind of check that box. So they may not, they may have um, cravings for totally different things. To have a meaningful job, to have meaningful meditation, whatever it is that we're craving for. If we're contented with this moment, we are opening up the doors to creating within us so much open space of time and energy without craving for something else that with that open space of time and energy, we can actually do something where our inner being is transformed. Transformation is actually the aspect which clarification and purification depicts. If there's too much pride, too much self-assertion, we don't want to be transformed. We only want to add on to what we've already got. So this is the, this is the, the Hogan Roshi says, Zen is not a self-improvement project. You know, it's not like we're trying to get this extra thing. So contented and easily satisfied. This is why we keep emphasizing welcome so we notice when the mind is practicing or talking or thinking discontent or dissatisfaction and we respond instead with welcome. We respond with this is how it is right now. Dullness, irritation, itchiness, bliss, calm. This is, it's all welcome. That's how we practice contentment. It's deep acceptance, practicing deep acceptance. That's Zazen, that's Metta, deep acceptance. Unburdened with duties. Another way this is translated is not caught up in too much bustle. Hustle and bustle. So why would this be the case? Well, for one, we can become too busy to practice, too busy to practice too busy to come to the zendo, too busy for sashin. So busyness can show up in all kinds of ways. Let's see. There's another way to be unburdened with duties, and that's appreciating what is ours to do. So we can have duties. In the one way, unburdened with duties is doing what's ours to do. The other way is um, to make sure that we're, you know, we can counter, it's like, I have to do, 
I find myself saying like, oh, I have to do this. I'll talk to somebody. It's like, oh, I have to go do this thing. I have to do this thing. And there's an underlying like burden in the in that talking to. Instead of I get to do, I get to do this thing. I get to go to this place. I get to talk to that person. That's that's having duties or responsibility with a sense of promise, excitement. And mostly we're looking for resistance. You know, the kind of the burden is the resistance. Of course, there's many ways to look at this. And again, that this is your yours to look at. You know, what is what is busyness? And frugal in their ways. Well, on the surface, frugal, you know, obviously our mind gets all kicked up if we're overly involved in in things especially extravagance, etc. So how do we train on being frugal in your ways in Sashin? You already show up and it's pretty frugal. <laughs> right? So Ayakema wants us to consider frugal as taking care with material things, treating material things, material objects with, with care and concern and mindfulness. That's being frugal in your ways. She says, frugality is a way of attending with mindfulness to everything that one comes in contact with. So it's how you handle your bowls and orioki. It's how you pass the food. It's taking care of what belongs. It's also taking, she says, taking care of what belongs to others. You know, everything, everything in here, the bowls, the everything, it doesn't belong to us. And if you think about our possessions, nothing belongs to us. When someone dies, all their things are dispersed. It doesn't belong to them anymore. So taking care of our things is actually taking care of something that will be someone else's. The other way to be frugal in, in, in their ways is taking care of the natural world. That's a way to be frugal as well, to practice frugal. It's not just a, um, you know, my penny pinching. It's it's a it's a deeper practice than that. So see how you handle your things, how you touch them, loving hands. So peaceful and calm. So for this, um, this is often this is also translated as with senses calmed or controlled in the senses. And so this is really about noticing being caught in seeking gratification of the senses. It's not about it's noticing comfort seeking or avoidance of discomfort. It's desire and aversion. I want this, I want this, I want this. I want this experience, I want this, I have this idea, I want to go seek this experience. I don't want, I, I don't want what's shown up. I don't want what's mine to deal with. 
I don't want what mine is, what I'm responsible for. The mind gripped in, in that, in the dukkha of clinging, the mind becomes agitated. So again, practicing may you be at ease and welcome is a way to calm the seeking mind. Because we're not seeking, we're just saying, here's what's, here's what's here. It's just this. This is what is here right now. So the last few lines. And wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Uh, this is uh, bringing some intelligence to our practice. Not thinking about practicing, but the thinking about you know that she was talking about is how do i how do i practice this it's bringing how can i do this it's also wholeheartedness it's being committed willing if we <laughs> we're not sure how to be wholehearted we could just practice willingness i'm willing to do this <laughs> i'm willing to experience this not proud and demanding in nature. This is accepting help. This is accepting the support of the Sangha, accepting the support of teachers, engaging in the practice, not being too proud to do it, not feeling like we have to figure it out, not feeling, you know, noticing when we feel like I have to, I have to be in charge. It's, again, this is don't know mind. This is another, another thing that points to practicing don't know mind. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. This means relying on the precepts. So in, in, in the Theravada and tradition, they emphasize the five precepts. So this relies on the ethical precepts of not to kill, but to cherish all life, not to steal, but to respect the things of others, not to lie, but to speak the truth, not to become intoxicated, but keep the mind clear, and not to misuse sexuality, but to be respectful in mind and action. So this is this points to this stability of mind and our practice relies on living by the precepts. And Chosen Roshi likes to say that one of the most wonderful things about Sashin is that it's so much easier to keep the precepts. <laughs> So we can also look at this from a positive side. Let them, instead of not do the slightest thing the wise would later reprove, we could look at it as let them do the things that the wise would later rejoice. So who are the wise? Well, who are the wise to you? Who are your exemplars? These are exemplars. They can be the Sangha, it can be higher power. It could be spiritual friends. You know, we're not a, a guru tradition in Zen. And so the, the Zen, Zen teachers are often referred to as sensei. And um, a sensei has two characters. And one of the characters is means before. And the other character means 
birth is the character for birth. I mean, they have multiple, all kinds of multiple meanings. And so sometimes this gets translated as English in English as one who has gone before. So this is the in a way the wise is just someone who's just been doing it longer. You know, or knows how to the wise in sowing is someone who knows how to sow. And you don't know how to sow. So that in that case, that's the wise. So looking for exemplars and, and um, being inspired and keeping the precepts. So I'd like to close with um, Ayakima. Peacefulness is a state of inner being which is independent of outer conditions, which one creates within oneself through one's ability of wholesomeness, the ability of loving heart, and the ability to recognize that the world out there is not going to do it for ourselves. One has to do it for oneself. That moment of recognition that I've got to do it for myself is a moment of truth And while it sounds totally obvious, it comes for most people as quite an insight. I've actually got to do it. Nobody out there will do it for me. And that goes together with the question, how will I do that? The Buddha then mentions these conditions, which are wholesome, which we just went through. These are the conditions to practice in order to gain peacefulness. And with that, or I would say to reveal peacefulness and to be able to manifest a loving heart. These conditions are part and parcel of our makeup. We all have them within us. We all have them within us. So practicing wholeheartedly, willingly, steadily, with don't know, with don't know. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. May we be at ease. So as you can see, this 
sashin container that we have all co-created meets the Buddha's 15 different conditions for practice of opening the heart. So let's just keep doing it. Thank you.